Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. How are we all doing this morning? John, it was good, was it? Was it you? Good man. How good is it to gather and worship God together? I I still never, ever find that tiring. I reckon I never will. This idea of joining together with other people and with one voice in unity, lifting up that name that is worthy of our praise. It'll never get tiring. We're going to do it throughout all of eternity, eh? so get used to it. But how good it is to gather together. And you came out this morning to do just that. Not just to worship on your own, but to worship with others. It's pretty cool. And, yeah. You know, this year we've been... Do you know what we've been talking about this year? I reckon you do. We've been talking about living lives where Christ is at the center. Yeah. It's the center of our personal lives. He's the center of our families, and he's the center of our church. In fact, if we're going to live lives that are going to have an impact on others, then we need to have this in order. We need to have Jesus truly at the center of our lives. If we want to make an impact on the world, if we want to change lives, if we want to impact people wherever we go, then Christ must be central in our lives. You know, I was pondering this week, again, the verse that is central to our faith. And for those who are new to this or maybe haven't been on this journey very long, there's an important scripture found in John three sixteen. I want to read it this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And as I was reading that again this week, my prayer was, I never want to lose the amazement at the extraordinary love of God for this world, that he would send his son Jesus into the world as a sacrifice for you and me. I, I never want to lose my amazement at that promise and that thought and that truth. And the promise for those who will believe in Jesus is what? It's eternal life. Wow. I never want to lose the perspective of eternity. I never want to get to the point where my life is led by the temporary, by just the here and now, but it is determined by the understanding and the truth of eternity. With that understanding, when you've got the revelation that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with God, then you're truly happy to be a part of helping others find that same revelation, find that same truth of Jesus for themselves. Most people you talk to who actually love Jesus will tell you of their desire to live lives that will have an eternal impact. Like I have that desire, the motive is there, the desire is there, the why is even clear, but it's often the how that seems to be missing. How do I start a conversation about Jesus with people? It seems harder than ever to share the unchanging word of God with a rapidly and constantly changing world. You hear messages of faith that it's time to get out and share with people and think to yourself, I I must do something but get stuck on the how do I do it? How do I take my faith and make it relevant in people's lives? And I find people are struggling with messages on getting out on mission because we feel guilty because we feel like we haven't done enough. Or I've tried to share my faith and it didn't work. Now we're all made differently, is that true? wired differently. Some people are super reserved like me and Paul and Jono and some are incredibly forward and out there like Ange and Paul Cargo. And some are willing to stand on a street corner and share their faith. Incredible. But others, most others would not do that in a million years. Yet the mission 
To reach people with the truth of Jesus is for every single follower of Christ. Every person is enlisted for the cause of Christ to reach the world with truth. The mission Jesus left his disciples was to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Is that true? Go into all the world. Go into all the world. That's true for you and I today. But it was not just to be for those with forward personalities like Ange. It was actually for all of us. So if it's true for all of us that we're all to go into the world, wherever we go, to make fully devoted followers of Jesus, then it must be truly possible for all of us, even in a changing world, to bear witness to Christ, regardless of our personality or regardless of our gifting. And today I want to take a look at Jesus' life. I want to look into how Jesus was when he was with people. See, Jesus was also living in a time when life was changing and things were different. And there's a biblical pattern we can see in Jesus' life that I believe can truly help us, all of us, to live on mission in a very natural way. Who wants to do mission in a natural way? Who wants not to be weird and and misunderstood and strange? I mean, it might happen, it comes with the territory, but I'd also like to be able to reach people in a natural way, in an ordinary way, in ordinary everyday stuff that we do, and Jesus did that very thing. Now, there are many ways that Jesus did it, but I want to look at one this morning. When I read the, read the Bible and follow Jesus' life, I see often examples where Jesus is sitting around a table having fellowship with people. In fact, you can see that Jesus regularly would share meals with people. As I ponder that and look into that, I can see there is power in what I call the table of fellowship. Something that you do ordinarily every day often is share meals with people. It's a very normal part of your everyday, and Jesus did it. He fellowshiped with people around the table. Jesus understood the power of sitting with people over a meal. How people relax. Is this your experience when you have a meal with somebody? People relax. They allow their guard to come down when sharing a meal. Conversation gets deeper. Hearts get opened up. Food is a universal language. It actually speaks of friendship and value and belonging. And there's a gift of hospitality which gives value to those who are seated at your table. And I wonder if something as normal as sharing a meal with someone could be far more missional than perhaps we realize. When you open your home or you go to someone else's house for dinner, the relationship automatically gets deeper. The conversation becomes more personal. Often you'll talk about your own life, or they'll talk about their life. might talk about your challenges. You might talk about your dreams. You might even talk about what you truly believe in an ever-changing world. And around a table of relationship, it is received well majority of the time. And our Lord used the table of fellowship or the table of relationship to speak to people's open hearts. A meal table is a powerful tool. And Jesus was able to make the table of fellowship become a table of reconciliation. In the book of Luke, we see a guy named Zacchaeus who had heard of this Jesus who was coming past him and traveling through Jericho. In the book of Luke, we see this guy turn up. Now, that's an important point. Jesus is traveling through Jericho. In other words, Jesus wasn't planning this day actually to stop but he does. 
See, Zacchaeus has climbed a tree just to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was wealthy, but he was disliked because of his dishonesty. Let's read the story in Luke 19, verse 5 to 9. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus does not stop and begin to correct Zacchaeus while he sits in his tree. In fact, a number of weeks ago, it might be even six weeks ago, I spoke a message on the pace of grace principle, how Jesus would allow his life to be interrupted long enough for miracles to be able to take place. Now, Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' home. Why does Jesus do that? Jesus understood the power of the turnaround. He understood the power of fellowship. In that culture, in a guest's home, it would always include sharing food together. So now I'm coming to your house. Now I know we're going to sit and we're going to eat together. Jesus knew that the power of the turnaround for Zacchaeus was going to come when Jesus took the table of fellowship and made it the table of reconciliation. Because of the time that Jesus was willing to take over the table of fellowship, that table then became a table of reconciliation. And Zacchaeus was then able to discover salvation. And this tax collector's life was then turned around completely. A meal time can be an incredibly powerful time. It can give a chance for truth to actually be spoken, both to the person who doesn't know Jesus or to the person who perhaps loves Jesus but is in need of a little correction. At our all-in service we had here at Levita after lockdown restrictions were lifted, I spoke on this idea of going fishing again. It was from a passage found in the Bible and from specifically the book of John. Now, the context of this passage is that it's post-Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus was about to appear to some of his disciples who had gone back to what they knew before Christ ever came on the scene. They'd gone back to fishing. Peter is one of those guys who's in the story, and he's on the boat this day. Now, Peter would have been feeling pretty low because pre-Jesus' arrest and post-Jesus' arrest before his uh, death, Peter had denied knowing Jesus three times. And he would now be feeling guilty And I'm sure the guilt had well and truly sunk in. Now, Jesus appears to these guys standing on the shore. And John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter dives in and swims for shore. Let's recap this story. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the... I love how the Bible tells us that, just... Wonder why he put it on? Because he'd taken it off. And he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning 
of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples did ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now, the interesting thing that's about to happen is Jesus is about to deal with Peter who had previously denied him. But in actual fact, Jesus is about to reinstate Peter to once again leave fishing for fish and again live on mission and go fishing for people. He knew the state of Peter's heart. Peter would have been feeling terrible about what he had done to his Lord. But before Jesus deals with that, he prepares a table of fellowship. He feeds them breakfast. This is one of Jesus' patterns. He understood the power of the table of fellowship and how that table precedes the table of reconciliation. It's this ability that Jesus had to prepare the hearts of those around him for the truth. We can learn to slow down when we're bringing correction to other people's lives. This is an important point. Like, don't we want to deal with Zacchaeus still while he's in the tree? Don't we want to deal with Peter the moment we come across him again because he's let us down and he's denied us? But Jesus shows us a pattern, which is the the meal table of fellowship precedes the table of reconciliation. And I think sometimes if we can take this principle into even the relationship with our kids or maybe you're a teenager, you want to deal with it right now in the moment because they've misbehaved, but their hearts are closed But if we would slow it down and find a pace of grace and maybe even take them for what we call on staff a milkshake moment that's been happening for the life of church or take them out for a drink or share food with them, their hearts begin to open. They begin to soften. Their guard begins to come down. Now maybe we can turn the table of fellowship into a table of reconciliation. And Jesus shows us that pattern of how to live. Opening our homes to people is actually a powerful tool for mission. When you open your home and you bring people to the table of fellowship, you're also opening your heart and you're opening your life to them. It's another reason why I believe joining a life group here in the church is vitally important. In a life group in someone's home, we get out of the rows of Sunday and we sit together in fellowship. It's a chance to build deepening relationships with others that perhaps you can't do on a Sunday. In a gathering like that, you get to get to some of the deeper issues of the heart, be supported at a much deeper level. It's also why we built a cafe here at La Vida, to take our time in here together and to move it out there, and it can become the table of fellowship with one another. Now, there's another table where we see Jesus sitting at. We see the account of the the Last Supper. Jesus is about to be arrested. He's about to go to the cross which would be the ultimate reconciliation of humankind back to the Father. He's about to prepare his disciples for for that, and he's about to explain his upcoming death. We read it in Matthew 26, verse 20 to 28, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to 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 him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. 
But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him to have not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We see in this picture, Jesus is reclining at the table. In other words, things up to this point are pretty relaxed, pretty jovial. Jesus is reclining. It's a great time of eating together. And Jesus uses this opportunity at the table of fellowship to speak honestly and openly with his disciples. He explains to them that one of them would betray him. I can imagine at the table now, there's a little bit of tension. But Jesus understood that when dealing with something big, the table of fellowship is the right place. Jesus takes the bread and breaks it, says, this is my body. He takes the cup and he gives thanks. And he says, drink this, all of you, including Judas. All of you drink this, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The table of fellowship now becomes the ultimate table of reconciliation. Jesus would go from there to the cross for the forgiveness of sin to make sure we could all be reconciled back to the Father. N.T. Wright, the English Testament scholar, New Testament scholar and theologian said this, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples his upcoming death and what it was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. There's power in the table of fellowship. My encouragement to you and for me is to open our homes and to invite people into our worlds, into our homes, and to our tables of fellowship. It's a great way to be able to build a meaningful relationship with someone and have a a chance to introduce them to the hope that you have in Christ. Around the table of fellowship, the guard comes down. Around the table of fellowship, the heart opens up. Hospitality is a powerful tool to opening people's hearts. And we see that pattern in Jesus' life. The power of hospitality is an open heart of acceptance, an open hand of fellowship, and an open home of belonging. And it can change somebody's life. True hospitality is not about our gourmet performance. Now, it's good to cook food that people can actually stomach and eat. But the goal is not necessarily gourmet performance It's actually focusing our energy on the blessing of honest and sincere relationships. It isn't concerned with projecting an image of manicured lives devoid of stress and mess and chaos. Instead, biblical hospitality flips the camera lens from a selfie to a wide-angle lens pointed outward towards the lives of others, warmly inviting them in to our own. It's not about entertainment. It's about blessing someone. Entertainment impresses, but hospitality blesses. Perhaps one of the important disciplines for us to recover in the modern era we live in is the discipline of the table of fellowship. The world is fast-paced, tech-saturated culture. Perhaps we can rediscover the art of a slow meal around a table with people we can love and we can care about. I felt... In my own heart, that tables are one of the most important places 
of human connection and belonging. It crosses cultures and it crosses generations. Our tables are a place of thankfulness for God's blessing. They're a place for broken sinners to find connection and belonging and a place of giving of ourselves for the sake of others. The table of fellowship becomes the table of healing and of reconciliation. And it's something I know we do naturally, but I wonder if we've lost the art of opening our homes and sharing a meal with people. I wonder if there's more power in the meal in our home than perhaps we've recognized. I wonder if God is saying in the very natural way that you share a meal, invite somebody to your home. It brings the guard down. It opens the heart up. It shows value to another human life. As the worship team comes back this morning, perhaps you find it difficult to invite somebody to a relationship with Jesus. I don't know where each one of us is at this room this morning. Maybe you find it difficult to invite someone to church. This is quite a different message for me because as I'm studying scripture and waiting upon the Lord, I'm saying, God, show us ways that we can easily and naturally reach people in this world. In an ever-changing world, perhaps you, you feel the pressure of trying to bring somebody to a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you don't start there. Maybe you don't even start bringing someone to church, but maybe you could start bringing someone to a meal. Maybe you could start by inviting someone into your life and into your home. My revelation for this is that an open heart, an open hand, and an open home is a great opportunity to reach people with the hope of Christ. And you know, as I journey through leadership and one of, one of the greatest passions I have and I still have is that we live missionally. We get out in this world and we make a difference in the lives where God's put us. We often talk about the power of the invitation and want you to invite people to, to a relationship with Jesus as the primary, invite them to church. But what about the invitation to your home? When you invite them into your home and you invite them into your life, you're opening your heart up to them. But I'll tell you this, they open their heart up to you equally. We want to continue to live missionally, live in a way that is outward focused in a very inward focused world. If you're able, would you stand with me? I'd like to pray for you this morning. I know it's a very practical message. I pray that in the midst of a practical message that the Holy Spirit somehow touch something in your heart of the hospitality of your life, the openness of your life. That God would take my words and he would do something in your heart. So your life matters for somebody else. The way that you live, the way that you open your heart make a huge difference in the life of somebody else. For some of you in this room, it comes so naturally. It seems so easy. For many others, it seems so daunting. And so if we need the Holy Spirit's help we can open our, our homes, we can open our hearts, but we need the Holy Spirit to move through us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today for the reminder that you, Lord, love this entire world. And it truly is your heart that none should perish. And you have given every single follower of Christ the mission to go into this world and to share the hope and truth we have found in Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit, to live lives that have open hearts.
open hands of blessing and open homes of fellowship. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we each would be reminded of the power of fellowship, the power of community, of what it is to live big lives with big hearts, to live outward focused and not inwardly consumed. We're about to sing a song that's called Waymaker. And I'm just so aware that we need God to be the one who moves in people's lives. That we can lay plans in our hearts, we can do our bit, but we need the Spirit of God to move. And we open our homes, we're simply saying, God, here's another opportunity for you to move through my life. When you're out for coffee this week with somebody, when you're sitting down and the pace of life is slower, we need the Holy Spirit to take hold of that moment. And we need His help. And there are people in this room, your families, you're looking at family, you're looking at friends, you're looking at workmates, you're looking at employees, and you're thinking, I just don't see how this person's heart could ever turn toward God. And that's where we need the miracle-working God, the way maker, to come and make a way, to open their hearts as you continue to sow seeds of hope when you meet with them, when you continue to encourage, when you continue to talk openly about your love for Christ as you would sow seeds that the Holy Spirit would be the one that would come and make the way. And so as we sing this even this morning, let's not just sing this for us. And it's true there are people here this morning, you need miracles. You need a breakthrough in your life. You need the way maker to make a way, but let's not just sing this in single thought. Let's sing this for all those that right now in our lives don't know Jesus. Yes, we need a miracle, but they need the greatest miracle of all, which is the gift of salvation. And so as we sing this today, we sing it in faith. We sing it in unity. God, make a way in their lives. Use our very natural, ordinary, everyday things we do to impact the lives of the people that we come in touch with during our week. Holy Spirit, right now, right across this room, would you just have your way? Would you touch our hearts afresh for the mission? And God, where it's got complicated, would you simplify it for us? Holy Spirit, would you just revive again in our hearts the cause of Christ? In Jesus' name.